0: You need to just learn how to balance the two by asking yourself, what are your priorities? And if what you're passionate about is a priority, then you need, then every time that you find yourself in a space where you think you can't get it done, or you think that you're losing energy, or you think that something's blocking you, then you ask yourself this, you ask yourself, is this a priority you put, is blank a priority? And if it sounds wrong, if it sounds like, oh my God, it's totally like a priority, you know what I mean? Then you got to work on it. So this is what I use. It, it, instead of just posing it as a question, I do it like this for myself, which is, I say this blank is not a priority. And if that sounds weird, then I'm like, I got to get it done.
1: Time unpacking that aspect of Jessica's interest. Instead, we spend most of our time discussing how Jessica organizes her life to perform and dive into what she does with so much passion, really. Because this conversation was incredibly energizing for me to talk about anything from cancel culture, beliefs, and stepping out of your comfort zone, and getting past mental roadblocks. We also touch on the subject of the idea of immigrant children because as I mentioned is that Jessica is an Egyptian American. She talks about a little about her background with her family coming over to this country as she is a first-generation American. And then last but not least, we do spend some time covering the current situation in China with the Uyghur Muslims and how that situation in China is evolving and developing. I'm going to include links in the description of this podcast so listeners can find more information on that particular situation please enjoy this incredibly wide-ranging conversation with jessica matat and expect a round two at some point in the future thank you all for listening hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of feeding curiosity on today's episode we're joined by jessica matat hi jessica
0: Hi, how are you?
1: Good, how are you? I've been looking forward to talking to you. We've been going back and forth on emails and stuff like that. And it's been a lot of fun to just hear a little bit of your story and what you're interested in, just warming up here. So to start, normally, I just ask, "What is like just a quick, who are you and what do you do?
0: Oh, cool. I'm a producer with a bachelor's degree in film and TV from Boston University. And so outside of that, I worked and interned at Brightspark Films, Aggregate Films, and I'm now producing uh, feature films with the Enclave Entertainment Group over in LA with my producing partner, Wayne Watkins. I just had to say his name because he's amazing. And yeah, I've studied and I've worked in Miami, Boston, New York, London, and LA. And I just do whatever I can to tell international stories, really, because that's where I'm from. I'm Egyptian and Peruvian, and Mm -hmm. everything I do is to push that envelope towards diverse storytelling.
1: That's awesome. For one thing, I I find that absolutely fantastic. And actually, as you were talking about that, this might be a silly question, but the word, the title of producer gets thrown around a lot. It's like usually director and then producer or executive producer on any of the bylines. So what is a producer?
0: (laughs) Okay, all right. That's massive. Anyone who gets that question always says, ooh, that's a good one, or ooh, that's a big one. I don't know how I'm going to explain it. Really, there's so many different types of producers. It really depends on who you're asking. For me, Mm -hmm. uh, since I work somewhat with independent filmmaking, then I'm a line producer in a way, which is someone who manages a budget and a schedule. And I'm also a producer that, I guess would be an exec producer because I'm the person who's seeing everything throughout multiple stages of development. So I'm seeing it from pre post, everything involving even rap, everything mm-hmm. involving the publicity cycles after. And, it, and it, again, it really just depends on what type of producer you want to know. If you give me a name, I'll tell you what they do. <laughs> but at least for me, I just do. I'm practically, if I had to define as exec Slash line. Okay. Slash babysitter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> babysitter.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the babysitter of every person I work with. Yes. That, that's, that's
1: I love it. it. It's so good. And I, it feels like one of those roles you see so often, but you don't really know. Unless you're in the industry, you really don't know what that means. And so I just couldn't help but ask that because I find it interesting because to me, when I think producer, I think someone who just controls money and just says, here, make this thing. And then then somehow finds people to make things happen. That's what I think of.
0: No, you know what? You're not wrong. It is pretty much like that, except everything's got a back and forth. So Mm -hmm. if you want to get people involved, like if you're going to hire them, then it's a back and forth on hiring. How much are you going to pay? How much are they going to do? Uh, contractual agreements, all of that. It, it's basically just a simple control everything type of thing, mm-hmm. except I'm not a manager <laughs> because I'm not managing someone's life and I'm not a business manager in terms of expenses. I'm the projects manager in oh, a way. Yeah. So it really depends on the project, depends on the person. And luckily I'm producing things with a incredible person, as I said, Wayne. So, um, everything just works out with us between our partnership and we just Mm -hmm. equalize whatever we can do and work with what work within our strengths.
1: Yeah. That, I think that's a really important thing. Having, there's always like that dynamic duo, so to speak, and I'm sure you could elaborate a lot on that, but throughout history with either, you know, entrepreneurship or anything else, there's always the the team that balances each other out, especially when it's smaller ventures, that the one person might be the idea and then the other person might be the execution side of the coin. And it's, is that how it works with you and your partner?
0: A Tough question for me, because this is the type of thing that I would smile and look at Wayne to see if he'd answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> Really, I don't really think that there's a way to describe our dynamic other than we are two co- work colleagues who have a lot of respect for each other and a lot of trust for each other. And we call our own shots and more likely than not, we will agree on exactly the same thing. So really, like thinking about it this way, if anybody was listening to this podcast and thinking about getting into a partnership with someone, they really have to ask themselves is this someone who I butt heads with or when we do butt heads, do we always come up with a solution or some sort of compromise that makes everything work out in the end? Mm -hmm. And that is what Wayne and I have. We compromise and we work out whatever we need. And it depends on each project. We might have some differences, but I I would never even call them disagreements.
1: That's really cool. I think that's really important. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like any relationship, right? It's how do you, Mech, not maximize. That sounds way too businessy. How do you like work with another human, right? And it, yes. it doesn't matter if it's business, friendship, or even a significant other. And you have to learn how to deal with that other person and compromise at the end of the day, and then building trust. And I think trust. I think is probably a key component here that I don't think most people really comment on enough. So I just be curious to see what you would have to say about the, the trust building aspect of like partnerships.
0: Ooh. Okay. Ooh. I'm just wondering, cause I'm now I'm like thinking in all of my partnerships, I have this business partnership with Wayne, but I've also had partnerships having been in multiple relationships. Like I've, I know what that's like too. And and then I'm thinking about my best friends too. And really the way that I see it is You need to have trust in terms of it's not just everybody agreeing with the same thing. It's how do you move forward from conflict? So for me, I I don't even rule of thumb where I don't consider anyone a best friend of mine, even if we've known each other for years until we have an explosive fight. Luckily, Wayne and I have not had an explosive fight, so we're not best friends yet. (laughs) <laughs> but I've seen mean, all of my, anyone I've been in a relationship with or any best friend of mine, I would not consider them that until we've had that explosive, you know what I mean, that explosive mm-hmm. agreement. And I think that trust comes with how you get out of that particular situation. There's loyalty, there's trust, and there's communication. So as long as you're willing to communicate, both sides of the argument, communicate your boundaries and understand and respect their boundaries, then by that, you will get a loyal companionship. And through that, you'll build trust.
1: Mm. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I I think, wow, it's so good. It's just because I feel like disagreement is at the heart of everything. Look at the world that we're in right now. It's just disagreement and people will not be willing to even come to the table Right now, and it, the question remains: Is how do you start getting people to sit at the same table, even if they do disagree?
0: That and- is an incredible question. Sorry, that just reminded me of cancel culture, and I have so many opinions on that. Please
1: go, go, <laughs> please.
0: <Feelings>. I- <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just a matter of it, it's a matter of who do we need to. Okay, let me think about this really well. So the Mm -hmm. way that I see it is just we all do good and bad. Mm -hmm. Do you think like Mm -hmm. we're all about good and bad? The thing is that it's not our responsibility to condemn others, really, in my opinion. I know that you can give me so many different cases where we'll have different conversations regarding whether or not a certain person in the industry needs to continue having their own platform, whether or not they need to be condemned and removed from the industry, whether or not their works need to be destroyed. It's a conversation that everybody's having within our industry, which is why Mm -hmm. it's really touchy to talk about. But the way that I see it really is that we are all equal in everybody's eyes. We're all equal people. We are all humans on this earth. And so it's not my responsibility, nor nor am I able to just cancel somebody out, really. I I don't have the power. I don't think anybody does. So again, like this is a conversation that we really have to deep dive into to get any, oh, what did she think of this Mm -hmm. type of things? But in reality, what I believe is that since I want to live in a life where I believe that everybody's equal, then I need to be able to treat everyone with respect, Mm -hmm. whether or not I agree with them on certain things. Again, this is a whole other combo on its own. If you were to bring in Trump, obviously this would be a different conversation.
1: Right, definitely. (laughs) And and I'm so glad you brought up cancel culture in general because I I truly feel like something like cancel culture is incredibly dangerous because for some group to have the ability to say this is right or wrong, like reading a certain book, for example, or that a certain film, for example, is okay to watch or even produce. I find that more damaging than it is useful most of the time. I can find examples where it might be like certain things, like, or if it's done in a certain way, it, it shouldn't be done that way. But most of the time, I am the type of person that would much rather have access to information, however that may be, and allowing the participant the viewer the listener the whoever whatever that the active participant is in that make the judgment call because at the end of the day I believe that you can't prescribe to anyone and say this is right like 100% right for the other person unless it's harming like actively harming another person but again that gets into way murkier territory and and so I really have a hard time accepting certain ideas as no-go zones because it just Pushes my buttons. And I think also, too, it's antithetical to the idea of what it is that I'm doing here. It's feeding curiosity. And like the prerequisite of being curious is that you're willing to get uncomfortable. And like when you want to cancel something, that means something is so uncomfortable that you're not even able to like flip over that stone per se. Yeah.
0: And it's funny that you use the word uncomfortable because my, life's motto that I tend to follow is not only live life to the fullest, Mm -hmm. but whenever I'm feeling comfortable, I need to get out of the room. If it's like when you feel like you're the smartest person in the room, then Mm -hmm. leave the room. You don't learn anything if you continue to live in this, box this space that makes Mm -hmm. you feel warm and good i always am looking for another reason to feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. genuinely like i I always want to step outside of the box and do something that challenges me or try something new Mm -hmm. and i mean honestly that's what makes this pandemic so tough because you can't really do any of those things and Mm -hmm. you're stuck in this uncomfortable situation that there really is no way out of really but At the same time, it's also for me, because I felt so uncomfortable staying inside, staying with my feelings and my emotions and my family. I I love my family. But for me, someone that was stuck, I just, that's why I created all of these other different projects and went through all of these different things. That's why I created that Facebook group that I mentioned, that I'm pretty sure That's how I met Jordan, actually. Mm -hmm. Jordan, your friend, Mm -hmm. Jordan. Like I met him through networking for career filmmaker, and that was something that I did as a need that I needed to do because I was feeling so stuck Mm -hmm. and so not myself in this one bubble.
1: Yeah, that's really good. I like that a lot because it's—I don't know—it's one of the skills that I don't think people realize is a skill. It's being able to lean into what makes you uncomfortable, or at least finding that you were stagnating or at least becoming aware of stagnation, I guess, in some degree. Because most of us, or at least when I was younger, I I had always I didn't enjoy the fact where people would get done with school, be it college or high school, and they would just immediately be like, I guess I'm done with that now. Like I'm done with the learning phase of my life. And I'm just like, that is not the right way to, to go about this. And, and so it's always been for me is like, where is that edge? And I'm curious if you have like other way like other ideas that you like pushing the edge in like more general terms for anybody out there. What do you mean? Like pushing your edge of like where your comfort zone is. Like how do you get people to step outside of their comfort zone? Like maybe there's someone who's not sure or they just have that uncertainty of like, where's the first step? Especially, I think first steps is like the, the key in this.
0: Well, the first step is whenever you find yourself overthinking about whether or not you should call this person, do this thing, that's when you stop yourself and reflect and answer to yourself saying, all right, what will happen if I do this thing? And look through the consequences. As long as you're not harming anyone, then you might as well just shoot your shot and get it done. So in that case, a, a example would be I would not call an ex, but I will call a friend to tell them that I love them, even if it makes me uncomfortable to call them out of the blue and tell them that I love them so much. You would think that's something that, That is so simple. Of course, I'm going to call my friend, but a lot of people actually, there are some times where I find myself thinking, actually, I know my friend's busy, or actually I'm busy, or Mm -hmm. I create these excuses. And so whenever you find yourself making an excuse, you stop yourself and you ask yourself, what are the consequences of doing this thing? Can I get it done? Is it possible? Am I harming anyone? And you go from there and you go ahead and you do it. So it's it's something as simple as calling your friend and telling them that you love them, but it's also something as simple as taking the wrong train. And when you realize it's the wrong train, you stay on it if you have nowhere else to go. So that way you can see where you're going. It's about taking chances. And the way that I see it is right now, our lives are at a standstill with this pandemic. Before the pandemic, I made sure to live every life to the fullest. Meaning, Anytime I took that wrong train, I just thanked the Lord and was like, I took a wrong train. I don't have anywhere else, go. So I might as well see where it takes me. Or I'd walk into a gallery and see what that was like. Or so many nights that I found myself doing nothing, I found a way to do something. And and I remember just being in New York and being like, and I'm telling myself, oh, I don't know what I should do. There's too much to do in New York. I'm overwhelmed. Like, what should I even <laughs> start with? And you know what I did the first time that I went out in New York is I went to Chelsea and I visited this gallery where there was this, uh, it was a Sex in the, city, sex in the city gallery where created by these trans women who had created a trans perspective through Sex in the City. And it was oh, wow. the most enlightening thing I would have ever opened my eyes and seen. It was so brilliant, that exhibit. Mm-hmm. And, and I could have easily just been at home wallowing in my own sorrow and wondering what's gonna be my first New York adventure. But instead I just went out took a train, went to Chelsea and walked the streets. And that's just what you do. That's what getting out of your comfort zone is. It's asking yourself what you can do from that point and then doing it.
1: Mm-hmm. I I really enjoy that so much. It's not to get archetypal to pull on the, the hero's journey, but it's when you, as soon as you step out the door, it's a call to adventure. And, and it's the idea of whatever that thing is, we tell ourselves stories of like why you shouldn't do something most times. And and I think learning how to make that voice stop is the hardest thing ever, because there's 110 reasons why you shouldn't be whatever it is that you want to be. And and i always like, I just, and no matter how comfortable I get doing some things, even inviting guests on this podcast, I still have that kind of feelings to some degree where it's like, oh, I'll wait, I'm not ready to, or whatever it is. And I'm curious if you have any ideas on like how to just get past the mental roadblock?
0: Yeah. Um, so here's here are a few tips that I tend to do whenever I'm feeling a bit stuck in my head is I will re- reflect and remind myself that I'm being stuck in my head and that the only person stopping me is me. That's my first step. And then from there, sometimes if I need some support in doing what I need to do or trying on a new project or getting something done, then I'll call a friend and I'll ask them, Hey, I'm thinking of doing this thing. Hey, I'm thinking of going out and trying out this new club or whatever. Would you come along with me? I really want to try this out. So asking a friend, that's another thing, go to your support system and see if they'll take this on with you. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I do is um, whenever I find myself in that roadblock, <laughs> anxious roadblock is I will remind myself of all the people that I want to be. I remind myself that when I was younger, my greatest hero was and still is my dad. And what did my dad do? My dad left Egypt when he was 18. And from there, he (laughs) backpacked all the way to London, lived in London for eight years and took the oddest jobs, went ahead and uh, t- did catering, taxi, driving, bartending, even though he's never drinking alcohol ever. Good Muslim. Wow. <laughs> I'm kidding. There's this no <laughs> thing as a good Muslim. But he, <laughs> he is the very best in my opinion. And yeah, so he did all of these things. And so I, I use that example of my hero and I will tell myself, okay, as a woman, cause my dad's a man, there's a different, there's a difference. I can't just wander the streets and become a taxi driver or a bartender as easily. So I'll put myself in that space and I'm like, what can I do to make sure that I've reached my greatest potential to make sure that I'm happy about the fact that, that I am actually taking the steps that my hero would take. And so I use those sort of examples as encouragements. And sometimes I even write notes of affirmations on my mirror or something. And when I'm brushing my teeth, I'll remember, I'll remember um, that I wrote earlier that night, rise up and get this thing done. And that's what gets me going. It, so, really, the three steps: one, get out of your head; two, go to your support system; three, reassess who you prioritize, reassess your heroes, re- rethink where your ancestors were, and see if you can be doing something that's greater and better for you and/or for the world.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I really like that a lot, especially the, like remembering like your heroes or the role models you choose in your life, and and. I'm sure you have many stories of your your father and your family in general, probably, but I I would just love for you to tell more of that if you have any other stories that you either remember of him or him telling you that have like backdropped your life.
0: Oh, boy, there's too many. I can't (laughs) really um, think of any, but usually... It depends on the lesson that you want to learn. I can't mm-hmm. tell you a story until you tell me a lesson you want to learn. <laughs> okay. We'll put
1: on the back burner. And if anything comes up, just feel free to interject it then. It's a, a place and drops everything at such a young age at 18 and to make it work somehow. And I and I just, um, I, I have no reference for that, obviously, because I, I I've, was born in the US and I have parents who, my mom is technically first generation because her family came from Poland, but- I don't know what it's like to, you know, not know the language and having to learn it. Like my mom had to learn English and she was the only person, like she spoke Polish at home, like that kind of stuff. I don't have that experience. I'm very Americanized compared to some of my relatives. And so it's just for me to learn like how, like those types of struggle, I find just completely fascinating. And it's just, there's a depth to those stories that I think people miss after even just a generation.
0: No, you're, you are a hundred percent. There is a depth to all of these stories. There's a depth to every story, particularly, you know, the fact that my dad's Egyptian, I'm completely first gen Egyptian on my dad's side, Peruvian on my mom's side. And they, I I can't share how they met technically because, um, we might develop that into a project, Mm -hmm. but I, I will say that it's, it was a struggle for them, mm-hmm. but my dad, he learned, he knew five languages. So it it was a bit easier for him. Mm-hmm. And also things were easier for people who were older. It was back then to get money, to get a house, to do these things. It was, and that's not an argument. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. And same thing with my mom. Like she, it was tough for her to adjust to the U S life, but they found each other eventually and they made their way through it. And now they own a real estate company together and they're their own bosses and they're their own peeps. And now I want to do a quick plug to the, to their real estate thing, but I I'm blanking on their name, but I think it's Miami Homes Realty and I will check that right now. <laughs> <laughs> if my mom listens to this podcast and realizes that I said the wrong thing, she's going to be very upset. So Sammy Matat and Jacqueline Ogita. I cannot do the double R on her last name, Matat at Miami Homes Realty. There we go. <laughs> 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 I to plug it in. Got yeah. to
1: <laughs> Gotta do it for mom and dad. That's awesome. That's, that's the American dream. And, and I think, I know the American dream has had been put through a ringer in 2020 and over the last probably even decade. But I, I really do think that America does provide a very special place for stories like your parents to allow that it to even happen. And I find it really energizing to to just see how you react and respond to it too. Like just the amount of, like you've been nothing but smiles for those who can't see obviously because uh. it's audio, but like the amount of energy that you bring to it and just relaying what a part of the story that you were willing to share just in case I find it just, it's just awesome and refreshing. Just the amount of authenticity that you bring to it. And it's so cool to see that.
0: (laughs) That is so sweet. Thank you so much for saying that my cheeks hurt all the time. So (laughs) yeah, it's a quick consequence, but powerful gain. So it works out.
1: Mm -hmm. And so the thing I'm not finding yet here is the through line of how you found film.
0: Oh boy. Or,
1: or maybe more broadly storytelling. Why was it, what was it about storytelling that got you so interested that you're willing to do everything you can to just start either producing or writing? I don't know if you do any writing, but.
0: well we all do writing, right? but I will not call myself a proper writer because I believe that all the writers that I know deserve better than that than to have me be a fellow writer. Again, just playing. But, so what really happened was I grew up in Miami. And while there, I, I didn't have the easiest time in high school. So my mom went ahead and she put me in this afterschool program called School of Rock. And I met my best friends in the world, Katya Sidlaska and Sydney Gershon, quick plug. And I got really into music. So I joined their house band, which was their elite band for Miami. And I toured around and we did this whole like competition thing, blah, 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 blah. Spent a lot of years thinking music was my thing. And then realized within the last year that I started to lose a lot of hearing. Because I was losing all of the one thing you need to be a singer, I thought, all right, let's reassess if this is what I want to do in life. And I was dating a guy at the time, who was very respectful of me and was very much a supportive boyfriend. And so he went ahead and was telling me, like, are you happy with what you're doing? Right now you're in Florida International and you're studying broadcast journalism because that was just something that you picked. Um, You're not really doing music because you're still in the middle of choosing what you want to do. But at the same time, you have time to explore this stuff. So what are we going to do? Then he suggested that I look into film and TV because he realized how unordinarily passionate I was about everything I watched and how extremely emotional I got over all of these little things involving film and television. So he suggested I look at New York Film Academy and I took a semester off from Florida International to apply to other schools got into Boston University in Emerson, picked Boston, went to Sudan and Egypt to uh, for a month to see my family before I went out on this film and TV venture that was possibly going to keep me away from them for a couple of years. And so I did that, did uh, New York Film Academy to see if it was a good choice, went to Boston University, pursued it, and really it was just that one conversation that I had with an ex-boyfriend that led me to uh, realize that, film and TV was my passion because I never really considered how passionate I was about it because I was too stuck in the fact that I was good at music and thinking that because I was good at it I should probably just pursue it.
1: Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because it's what we were saying in the beginning about relationships and how powerful they are because you have to you get them to check you basically where they see things about you that you've hidden from yourself almost, or you're just not aware of. And they just poke you with this thing and say, Hey, maybe you should do this thing. And you're like, huh? And the next thing, you know, (laughs) you go open the rabbit hole and it's here we are. And I'm assuming it was a gradual thing where you, I, but you seem like the kind of person that's when you realize that something you want to put all of your energy into, then it's, you're studying all the time. There's nothing keeping you from what it is you're going to be doing.
0: Well, yeah, it wasn't just studying, though. For me, it's doing the work. So yeah. it was getting involved in what I could with my friends and being the best that I could be in my class. And whether or not I was that is a question to ask somebody else. But I still keep in touch with almost all my professors at Boston University. And they think I'm doing pretty good. So I'm hoping I'm hoping I'm keeping them happy. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, it, it really, i I want to emphasize though, that it's not just studying. I'm very grateful to Boston university and everything that they did for me, but actually how I got my job with Wayne was not through the university. And, and I went to Boston university, particularly for their BU in LA program, their study abroad program with LA because of their incredible alum. But you know what? Didn't get my job through that. Nope. That's a story. On its own
1: actually. Let's go. That's uh, what we're here for. <laughs>
0: all right. So I went to the BUNLA LA program and I interned for aggregate films, which is Jason Bateman and Michael Costigan's company. And boy, that was a dream. <laughs> that was actually such an experience on its own. I interned for that company and I also interned for another company. But the second company, which I will not name because I just don't think it's right professionally to name it, that company let me go on the second week of being there. And it was just because I wasn't the right fit for their office culture. And so I spent the three days of the week that I was supposed to be in that company, I spent hustling. So I went to, wow, yeah, I just realized what I did. I went to two networking events per week and met with four industry professionals per week. Every other day, I contacted 15 people on LinkedIn to see if they'd have informational meetings with me. And at the time, I was in the middle of deciding whether or not I wanted to live and work in LA or find a job in London, because I'd previously um, interned for a company in London, and I loved it. And there's something about London that just felt like home for me. So I was in the middle of figuring that out. And for the months that I was in LA doing that BU in LA program, I met all the people that I'm working with now. And I, one of the people that I had contacted on LinkedIn was Wayne, my producing partner of today. And that's how I got my job by hustling, not not by doing the traditional way, which was going through my school, finding some sort of alumni to take care of me and become my mentor and possibly staying in the company that I had interned in, no, that didn't happen to me. I went ahead and I found my own way. And I think that is the way of the industry is finding your own path and going
1: Mm -hmm. from there. I think there's a lot of credibility to that. And And I think it's, I don't know if it's a symptom of our time or just anyone who strives to, you know, maximize whatever potential they feel about themselves Because I I, I don't think it's like that old saying, good outcomes is where luck and hard work meet. And I'm totally butchering it, but... Who cares? (laughs) And it it just sounds like that for me because it's you can sit around and if waiting for something good to happen is not a recipe for success most of the time. Like if you really want to be successful, then you have to go out and start taking it seriously, quite literally. Like you just have to do those things to just make it happen. And if you wait around, it's just, things don't just fall into your lap (laughs) unless you're just lucky. I don't know how, but I don't know how, especially in something like film where it's such a, I don't want to say saturated, but it's competitive. So hyper competitive that there's always another film that needs to get made or wants to get made and vying for those dollars. And so it's just, you have to be the one who's there first or sell it. I'm totally guessing, but that's, would be my interpretation of it. You have to just be aggressive to some degree.
0: Yes, you do. You have to be aggressive all the way through. And in reality, my big no in my life is waiting. I don't wait for anything to get done. If something's not getting done, I do it myself. And and it's the truth. I, I don't wait for anyone. I don't wait for myself either. That's the one person you shouldn't be waiting on is yourself. And just to bring things like full circle for a sec and how we were talking about being in that comfortable space and how to get out of it. Well, you get out of it by telling yourself to stop waiting. You have to stop waiting for that person to pick you up and tell you're special. You need to do it yourself and believe that you're special and get the thing done. That's, you know, I was talking to a work colleague of mine just last week, his name's Mitch Hera, Mitch Hera. I had like totally said his name too fast for a second. Yeah, so Mitch and his colleague, Jason Stewart, they created their own Amazon series called Smothered Mm -hmm. that came out in March. And so Mitch was telling me this incredible story on how he got his best friends to work on creating this show, this short series, practically for free. And just because they all believed in the project then they went ahead and they got it done in low budget style, but they got it done, they got it on Amazon with the help of Sony, Adam Sandler and Amazon itself. That incredible story is why, the reason why I'm bringing him up is because he and I were just talking about how the people in the industry need to understand that if you're really in the industry, then you don't talk about doing it. It's not a dream. It's you just do it you go ahead and you get your friends or you get your colleagues and you, you get together and you get it done. And that is it. That's all you need Mm to do to be part of the industry. And quick side note, my Facebook group is doing an event with Mitch and Jason, October 2nd, 630 PST. If you want to come.
1: (laughs) Cool. That sounds really cool. And I just love the idea of, and I, and I feel like it's just a symptom of anyone who's just getting after it in life is just kind of the way I say it. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's just do something and you don't think about it because you hear a lot of people make excuses yeah. in the spaces that I used to really sit around in is like the workout space and and thinking about getting healthier. And so a lot of people say, I don't have time for that. It's like, you know, and and that excuse just comes up All of the time, or it's oh I'm tired after work, or whatever reason they give. (laughs) And to me, it's like you if you really valued something, the time limit isn't the issue. It's the willingness to just do it and think about the time you put into it afterwards. Because the next thing you know, when you look back over the years slash months, wow, look what I like did. And when you stop and reflect, that's when you notice what you've done rather than like pre-reflecting in a weird way.
0: <laughs> no, I, I love that. Look what you've done with this podcast. You started not long ago. You said it was what, like three years ago?
1: Yeah. Almost three years ago now.
0: Yeah. And and you've got it going and you're staying consistent. That's another thing. It's not just going ahead and do it, but staying consistent in this type of in this type of way. So whether it be through working out, you can't mm-hmm. just work out for two days a week and then not work out for another two weeks. You can't take a break. It's all about consistency.
1: Yeah. And I would love for you to just talk more about consistency. Cause I think that's like the second ingredient is one doing not to use Nike, but just do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and two is consistency. Cause it's easy when you're motivated. I have like this theory about passion and motivation where it's good when you first get into something like when you're fired up about a project and you're ready to do it. And you're like, yeah, this is going to be great. But once that like initial wave goes over and you're like, "Oh, wait, I'm going to be doing this for a while." And it gets difficult, I think that's when people quit. But realizing that consistency is the only thing that saves you then and just honestly being hard on yourself because I'm hard on myself constantly. I always wish these things could be better. Even list, re-listening to a podcast before I get it out, I'm always like, damn it, I could have done something different. There's always that little thing that's like that little nugget of refining it just a little bit more, no matter what it is. <laughs> and it's the same thing with working out or any pick your thing. And I would just love for you to just talk about consistency and passion even, like how do you balance the two? Or is there even balance? Oh.
0: Oh boy. First, I just love that term nugget of consistency. That is lovely. I actually use nuggets of comedic gold whenever I, I use the nuggets of thing. But when talking about comedy series, I know that was a quick side note, but I just wanted to shed light on of appreciation towards you. In terms of balancing passion with consistency, you can't really have one or the other. I had this One professor in BU, Professor Weinberg, he used to tell us if you want to do something in the industry and you want to be something in the industry, you need to learn how to balance confidence and humbleness. Mm. And so I like to think of passion and consistency as confidence and humbleness. And really, the idea is that you can't have one without the other or else you look like a total jerk. Mm -hmm. And if you're not consistent in your goals, then you're becoming, you're being a jerk to yourself. Mm -hmm. You're being a jerk to your dream. You're being a jerk to all the passions and dreams that you've had your entire life. So not staying consistent is actually just bringing you down. Whereas your passion, whatever you're passionate about, I don't know about you, but whenever I think of passion, I think of fireworks. I think of fire. I think of sparks. I think of love. And, and I love what I do. And so I can't risk not being consistent in what I do. I've, I've done the whole, I've been there on social media, but then I realized if I'm going to be in the industry, I I actually do have to start speaking up and talking about things that bother me or things that I just can't have. And being in my medium, I spent a lot of years telling myself, like, I need to swallow myself. I need to not really be as expressive with things because it's going to get back to me. And some certain people, they don't want to work with you if you don't share the same opinions or values as they do. Mm -hmm. But this year, in being stuck in my space, I realized that in order to be the best that I can be and to consistently work on what I'm passionate about, that I needed to go all the way. And that included being vocal about things that matter to me on social media also included creating the Facebook group and adding more projects to the roster with Wayne. So in reality, you really, you need to just learn how to balance the two by asking yourself, what are your priorities? And if what you're passionate about is a priority, then you need, then every time that you find yourself in a space where you think you can't get it done, or you think that you're losing energy, or you think that something's blocking you, then you ask yourself this, you ask yourself, Is this a priority? You put is blank a priority. And if it sounds wrong, if it sounds like, oh my God, it's totally like a priority, you know what I mean? Then you got to work on it. So this is what I use. Instead of just posing it as a question, I do it like this for myself, which is I say this blank is not a priority. And if that sounds weird, then I'm like, I got to get it done. I know that we said we'd talk about it anyway, so I might as well just bring it up. But what's going on in China with the Uyghur Muslims? That is not a priority. Does that sound right? No, that doesn't sound right at all. So of course, I'm going to be talking about it. Mm -hmm. Not paying my bills is (laughs) just fill in the blank, ask yourself and tell yourself this is not a priority. And if it sounds off, you got to get it done.
1: Yeah. And and go ahead and let's elaborate on on the the Uyghur Muslim situation in China. And I think I I saw you sharing this on your social media and that's why I brought it up before we even talked because I thought it was, I know it's important and I just haven't had an outlet to actually speak on it, on the podcast yet. I've shared stuff before on, on my own social media because it's one of these things that I don't see many people in America or the West talking about as much as they should. You see a lot of things on Facebook, but you don't see a lot of this international stuff that's going on. And I I see you share it. And so I I thought it was the perfect avenue for us to explore it and and get more people aware of it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So the Uyghur Muslims, U-Y-G-H-U-R-S, or you can say U-I if you like, they're a Turkic Muslim group who primarily live in, I think it's pronounced Xinjiang in China. Mm -hmm. And what's going on is that Chinese authorities, this is speculation, this is not fact. There's been a lot of terrorist attacks in the name or being claimed by the Uyghur group. And so Chinese authorities were seeing these Muslim minorities as potential terrorists. So they went ahead and created what we now know of as vocational or re-education camps. And this is where... People in China or people around the world are being told that Uyghur Muslims are learning Chinese-related skills. When in reality, each of these witnesses that come out then talk about what's going on, they actually call it prison. They, they call it mandatory prisons, where they're forcefully separated from their families, and they're forced to do so many things. Like, there's forced labor, which the Human Rights Watch has talked about. They're forced to eat pork. That's just individual testimonies that have been going out. Cases of torture, reference of a tiger chair, forced sterilization. That's something that I saw Mm. on BBC. More than 2 million Uyghur Muslims have been detained by the Chinese government. And I think it was, there was this, I think it was like the Alan Moore show in, in BBC that had brought up this fact. They were saying that there was, Population growth in Uyghur jurisdictions in that area had fallen by 84% between 2015 and 2018. So right now, people are asking themselves, is this genocide? Mm-hmm. And it's a question of whether or not this is genocide because it's not an ongoing thing. This is just a slow wipeout of Muslim faith and identity. And that's why it's not considered genocide at the moment when in reality, there are millions of Uyghur Muslims that are being forcefully imprisoned. And and it's just a crime against humanity. And it is what we're calling a new Muslim Holocaust now because think about it this way. For me, this kind of started off like, I remember, in 2019, I was in London in the summer. Mm-hmm. I had learned about this in 2018. And, oh, do you hear the, do you hear dogs in the background? I'm no, just, not, I, not much. Okay, I have four German Shepherds and they howl around this time and they're howling right now, so apologies. <laughs> but um, going back to it. So yeah, I learned about this in 2018 just just because I had read that somewhere on, on Google Maps, wherever there was a Uyghur cemetery Mm -hmm. that it was being that they were starting to put cement all over it and they and through google maps you could see that all of these people who yeah exactly so imagine you're going on google maps and you're paying respect to your father and so you look up his cemetery and you're going to pray and you look it up and you see nothing so it all started off with disappearances and this thing going on with the cemetery It wasn't until 2019 in London that I started to read more about it. I'd already known about it in 2018 and I started talking to my family about it, but they didn't even believe it. And we're a Muslim household that lives in Miami. And my dad has connections to Egypt and even my Egyptian relatives didn't know much about it in 2018. So 2019 comes finally, it wasn't until, and I remember particularly because I was in London for new year's this year. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until this year in January That I've read from CNN, finally, from America, like for me (laughs) to finally see something involving Uyghur Muslim detainees and what is going on in general. And now, Mm -hmm. following accounts that I follow, so at D-O-A Muslim or at Muslim Girl, yeah, I know Muslim, oops, Um, yeah, and following the accounts that I follow or Thistle Topics, That's how I'm starting to learn more about it. But actually, if you go on my Instagram and you look at my bio, I have literal like petitions, informational guide. I got it from Thistle Topics who got it from somewhere else. So places to donate, all of this stuff. There's information now. So if you were to Google it and you were to search up The Guardian, BBC, Human Rights Watch, and anything really, even CNN, even, even I think it was actually it was CNN and Washington post had written something recently in terms of America. We even had what's NBC news had written something recently too, like just in just September 9th. So there is, there's no reason for people to not know about it at this point. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether you're going to speak out about it.
1: Yeah. I, I want to really appreciate the, just the overview you get in here because I think it's just incredibly important. And I'm going to do my best to have links in the show notes for people so they can go and explore and have the educate themselves because what's the things you don't learn in history class people
0: if, if you want the copy link on my bio it has literal like it's separated it's wonderfully Awesome. Separated. It wasn't me who did it. Yeah. I got it through this topics. Thistle topics got it from somewhere else. It has a donation section, a petition section, and an information section.
1: Even better than they've already done the homework for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they have. And I also follow Uyghur Muslims mm-hmm. on Instagram, the tags. They're very informative, awesome. genuine. So you can learn a lot. Yeah.
1: That's great. I I really appreciate that. And for me, it goes back to this idea of the safe spaces or even freedom of rights and all of that stuff because I I just don't, when a government is actively doing this and making it so the existence of a human is more difficult because of your beliefs or because of a certain lineage, I just find it wrong. It's just wrong. (laughs) Like, we don't need more of that. And it's 2020. I don't see why we should have these old archaic ideas where we believe that one person or because you believe in a different thing or even just whatever it is i just it just there's something wrong with it and i I have a really hard time contending with it and i just it really just makes me angry when i just hear these stories of what china does to people and how it just stamps on the rights of its own citizens and can believe that it's okay to in quotes re-educate its population so that it can be used as a labor force that should just even if you took out the religious aspect of that and said here's what they're doing they're re-educating their force so they can use it as labor (laughs) like it like it doesn't get any there's no good way to spin this thing in my opinion and it I just think more people need to know that it's happening because the only way it changes is if the entire world looks at China and says, you just have to stop. And I hope we can make that happen. (laughs) I really do.
0: I will say though, I, I, I'm very particular about the thing, like using words. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I, I don't have beef with China. I have beef with Particular government officials Mm. who went ahead and okayed this. Mm. I have have beef with anyone involved with that. Mm -hmm. It's I. I'm very particularly very particular about this because it reminds me of reminds me of two things. This this entire situation reminds me of two things. One, it reminds me of 9/11, and when 9/11 happened, people went ahead and were against Muslims, Mm -hmm. like me being Muslim. That was a I don't even want to get into the amount of prejudice that I faced mm-hmm. till this day. And so I, <laughs> I can't even get into it genuinely, but I will say being Muslim, it was almost as if when nine 11 happened, everyone was like, it's the Muslims, it's their fault. Or they were like, let's sue Saudi Arabia as a country. And it's like, why are pe- the people being, punished for something that a group did and it's not just that there's the second thing that this reminds me of is when i was in high school i went on a field trip to washington and we saw the holocaust museum in washington which was Mm. I, i don't know if there's one or multiple but the one that i went to was really well done yeah and when i was there when you exit the museum there was a word on chalkboard and it said if this were to happen again what would you do? And I remember everyone in my class writing, oh, you know, like I'd fight for it. I'd be protesting on the lines. Like I'd, wherever, like I'd travel, I'd be calling my representatives, this is not. And I remember writing, I'd talk about it. And I remember my teacher getting extremely upset with me because he was like, that's not enough. And I remember telling him, actually, this is what I can promise. I don't know where I'm going to be the next time that this happens. So I'm going to make sure that the, the small thing that I can promise that I at least do that and I do it well. And so here we are and it's happening again. And I'm wondering if we weren't in the middle of the pandemic and that chalkboard was still there, I'm wondering how many people are still writing that they'd be doing all of these incredible things in the name of justice when in reality, they're not even talking about it. I'd like to think of Muslim countries, the Middle East, all of these the areas that are very taboo to talk about in America. Mm -hmm. I'd like to think about it as anything involving Muslims or the Middle East as a massive car crash. And for some reason people, or I'd like to think of them as homeless people. For some reason, whenever you're driving and a homeless person walks by, you're possibly not going to want to look at them. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that. I've noticed that as, as a person, um, who was always driving with my mom or anything. I've noticed that since I was really young that anyone I was ever in the car with, every time a a homeless person walked by, that they wouldn't look at them. And so I always made sure to tell myself, and I've been doing this for years, I always make sure to look them in the eye and to either mouth that I I don't have anything at the moment and I'm sorry, or just to acknowledge them or to, to give them money or whatever it is that I do. But that really is... The problem is that people, they think of the Middle East and they just want to look away. They take a quick glimpse because they're going to look at the car crash. They're going to look at, they don't want to look at the homeless person, but they're going to look at the car crash, but they can't face it. And so they always quick glimpse, look away. And that's going on right now with the Uyghur Muslims in China. And that's what we need to remind ourselves to stop doing, that we need to remind ourselves to stop looking away and to take accountability for the thing, the actions that we're doing or what we're not doing enough.
1: Thank you. I I really appreciate your viewpoint on this. And I'm glad you brought up 9-11 because it was something that was horrible for this country, but it also had effects for people like yourself that had to live through that. And I'm glad you clarified that it's not demonizing an entire country or an entire people. I think that's, A really important distinction to to add in because it's easy as humans to find who is the the group of people that is at fault you know what to pick your group it doesn't matter just look at facebook right now everyone's at each other's throats for this upcoming election and i cannot help but i don't identify with either group i feel like this weird someone standing around and i Trying to be a mediator a lot of times, and I don't believe in people being like inherently evil. I don't subscribe to viewpoints that someone who is a Muslim is evil, or someone who is Christian would be always good, or whatever. Right? Pick your pick, whatever title you want to give that person or tribe, and I just don't. I've always just subscribed to understanding the people as humans. Period. And the only way we can do that is by finding the stories and letting those people share their experiences and say, this is what it was like to be me because of X, whatever that might be. And I had relatives who survived the Holocaust or were part of it because they lived in Poland, as I mentioned earlier. And, and it was, when I think about these atrocities, like, like the Holocaust, it's easy for us to go to these historical monuments and say, look, I want to be on the right side of history. If I was back then or if this were to happen again, I'm going to do the heroic thing. But the heroic thing is usually not the easiest thing to do, especially when everyone around you is either following the leader or just trying to survive. And, and I think it gives people too much credit to say that they would be doing as much as they humanly could to be heroic. And I'm saying that really specifically. And so I I find it awesome that you had the awareness to say, I'm going to start talking about it at the very least, because that's the thing you can at least do, even if you're not in in quotes, a position of power. And I just really appreciate that about you and that you're doing what you can, even though you, there's not much you, we can do being where we're at, right? Like we're all the way across the ocean. We're nowhere near China. It's not like we, like anyone in China is going to hear this probably or whatever, but like the least we can do is, is at least spread the word and let the ripples take it from there. So I, I just really appreciate everything that you've said. <laughs>
0: Thank you. I appreciate everything that you said. I'm so flattered. You're being so nice to me. I hope that this is not an act. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. I really appreciate you saying all of these really kind things. So thank you.
1: I, I, I hope. I, I don't really have, I haven't had too many experiences with people who are Muslim or really other religions. I grew up Catholic, but I, I don't- Really?
0: My mom's Catholic.
1: Yeah. I, I grew up very Catholic and I- I'm scientific, so religion is not too core to my who I am anymore. But I I still have deep roots, it, just gr- being raised by it, and I find a lot of morality and just a moral ethic in how you behave to others and in the world, by from that is given by religion, and it has nothing to do with whether or not you are someone who goes to church or something like that. But you can still be a decent human being to each other, and and give each other at the very least the benefit of doubt that. They're doing what they can to do right by them and their family, regardless of whether it is. And I, I just don't, I just don't see the value in demonizing people. I really don't. It's one thing to just say someone made a mistake, but it's a whole another thing to say that the whole reason the world's problems are on X group of people. I just don't. I just don't see it. I don't. I can't.
0: (laughs) No, I understand. I think that, I I don't think that anyone has a right to say anything like that, Mm -hmm. personally. I, like, being Muslim, obviously, I'm a believer in God. So for me, it's easy to just say, God will do the judging. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But honestly, I'm also, I'm also pretty, I I wouldn't say, so Mm -hmm. really what I think is that for me as a believer of God and the God that I I want to believe in is that there is no hell. There's actually just rehabilitation for the people who have lost their way. And so I'm not the type of person that wants to demonize people, nor I'm not so easy to just cut somebody out of my life, unless they have respect, unless they have disrespected me, mm-hmm. then you won't see me canceling someone from my life. Unless I feel like I need to do that for my own sake, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, yeah, i I, want, <laughs> I feel you on another wavelength, but I can feel you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I really do appreciate that. And it's for me. I love just talking about this. I we, like through this conversation is the idea of that you can have strong convictions, but hold them loosely and what that means to me is you can believe in something and and feel like you're right but be willing to let them go and, and revise that viewpoint to you know when new information or a new experience happens it be okay with letting it go don't hold something so tight to you that you're not willing to budge because I think when you solidify any viewpoint that's when you start getting yourself into trouble. And it's like the the thing between compassion or confidence and empathy, right? If you have too much confidence, you're just steamrolling over people. But if you're empathetic enough to be able to see other people and how they respond to you or just be willing to listen and be heard, I think goes a long way in in general, even if you don't agree with that person.
0: Yeah, exactly. And to be (laughs) honest, I actually like to surround myself with people I don't agree with all the time. I, I have to admit, I have a bit of a hot-headed personality, but I do try, I really do try to be respectful when it comes to disagreements. I do. I mm-hmm. I know everybody says that, but I don't know, just let's see. We'll disagree on something eventually. Yeah. You know, whether this podcast is on or off, whether or not an audience gets to see it, but I'm sure we'll disagree on something and then you'll be the judge of that, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole point, though. It's it's through disagreement that we learn. At the end of the day, right? It's through the struggles and the the speed bumps in life that we have. That those are the growing pains, as they say. I
0: don't even I don't even see it as a growing pain, though. I try not to use the word pain <laughs> <laughs> unless I'm saying no pain, no gain. Right. But that's just like a silly thing. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like that sometimes. Exactly.
1: <laughs> well, we're already over an hour. It's flown by. So I would just love for you, the kind of closing question I like to use is any ideas like quotes or like a philosophy to your life? I know you mentioned a quote earlier, but do you have any other like quotes? Cause you mentioned writing notes and I assume you do some sort of journaling. So if there's any like ideas or ways you like cleanse your brain from things to as a closing thought.
0: Oh boy. Oh gosh. I don't really know how to answer this question. Because I already gave you my mantra. Yeah. I'm thinking thinking from.
1: Or do you have, if you had a billboard, if you bought a billboard, would you have a message that you'd want to put up on that?
0: It's the same thing as always. I was about to say, mind the gap and mind your business.
1: That's (laughs)
0: um, (laughs) um, That
1: should be your banner. (laughs)
0: It should be my banner. I I should say that more often. For those of you who don't know, it was just an inside joke between Eric and I. You had to have been there. Um, But the main thing is, if you find yourself, well, live life to the fullest. And if you find yourself stuck or a bit too comfortable, then step out of your comfort zone and try something new. You know, that's my main always my main thing and always be conscious of of yourself others respect yourself and respect others respect your space create boundaries when needed but respect others other people's as well and lastly for um filmmaking thing I'm so bummed out I wish that we talked about filmmaking because like I would totally give so much advice on that round two
1: Maybe. Round two, it could be film only.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe round two is film only. Today is just the Jessica show. But just to make it at least informative filmmaking wise. Also, everything that I watch, whether it be film or TV, I have a spreadsheet based off of production challenges that I either researched about or I did. And for me, that's what's helped me envision what it's like to be on set and what I need to do as a producer in order to make sure that I can avoid problems or create solutions ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And so another thing that I would say just filmmaking wise would be to track what you watch and be mindful of how that process is being done. hmm. So that I just had to bring that That's up. That's
1: awesome. <laughs> Always honing the craft, as they say. I, yeah. I I love that so much. Maybe that will be around too, because I do, I have a really deep appreciation for mastery and craft and, and where those intersect and how they blend together and how that informs who people are. And so just as a final closing is where can people connect to you, with you on the internet?
0: Ooh, all right. You can connect with me on Facebook. My name is Jessica Matat, M-A-T-A-T, Akuna Matata without the extra A. And you can follow my networking group. Join the club, Networking for Career Filmmakers. Two M's on filmmakers. And you could also follow me on Instagram, Jessica Matott. Again or Twitter, same thing, Jessica Matot, but I use Twitter for research. If you really want to contact me, then contact me through Instagram. If, if you're going to submit a script, I, I always have to say this. I'm sorry, I do. If you're going to submit a script, please be mindful. Don't send me a long, long email about your achievements. I, I really don't have the time for that. Be mindful. If you contact me through Instagram or Facebook, I will so just from there, I'll give you my email. I'm not gonna put that out loud now. I'll give you my email. We'll talk. If you want to talk business, you want to talk advice or anything else, Instagram, Facebook. Again, my name, Jessica Matat, M-A-T-N-T.
1: <laughs> Easy enough. Cool. Yeah. And one, I appreciate everything you've said in the last you know, hour and a half. And it's been really fun. I have really enjoyed this. And I definitely can feel that there's going to be at least a round two in the future because there's way more to cover and talk about. Just yeah, scratching, scratching the surface. <laughs> I've really enjoyed this. Honestly, it's been a lot of fun.
0: Thanks. Me too. <laughs> yeah. I would love to do a round two. So let me know.
1: I wanted to take some time here and talk about how you, the listeners can support Feeding Curiosity. I've always believed in providing more content to whoever listens to this of value than what you'd ever pay for. I don't like the idea of having to sponsor myself with products I don't use or believe in. If it's something I use and believe in, then sure, I will talk about it and I will do everything I can to do that. And I've done that on this podcast before. Not sponsored, but I've talked about many products that I believe in, but in the aims of choosing to create a new model that i believe in and that we should all be striving for is breaking ourselves away from the subsidized model that ads provide and so with that we have turned on the uh, anchor.fm support structure which allows you the listener to subscribe to our content at the level of your choosing that is either a 99 cents 499 or 999 a month meaning that you the listener and me the creator can be transparent about how much value you see in our content and by doing so that allows me to have more resources to ever increase the quality of this content and that's not to say I won't be doing this anyways but it breaks me out of the loop of having to worry about those things because there is a lot of time that goes into this podcast but I love it and I hope that by you choosing to support the podcast, you know how much I care about the quality of this content. And so with that, everyone, thank you all for listening, and I hope you enjoy.